1620thezone.com and the Zone app. Church of the Corn starts now. Here are Zach, Alex, and Fitz. Welcome to the Church of the Corn, folks. Uh, This is Zach here, also known as Nebraska Hype Man, joined by Drake. Drake, what's up, bud? Oh, not much. Just enjoying this beautiful Saturday. How are you, buddy? I am fabulous to be on the radio with you guys. Uh, Also known as Drake Before Degrassi on Twitter. And we are joined by Fitz. Fitz, what is up, my man? Not much. Just uh, enjoying this opportunity here. So kind of surreal, but very, very excited. We made it, right? We we did. We did. Somehow we made it to the airwaves. So that's, uh, I don't know how this is going to go, but I think it'll go well today. You guys excited? Ready to roll? Something like that. All right. It's, it's a little surreal. It is, right? I mean, we made it from the podcast, and here we are, but should we uh, just get rocking and rolling on everything? Yeah, let's do it. All right, perfect. Uh, if anyone's got any phone calls or anything like that, you can give us a call today, uh, 402-951-1620, or you can get us uh, at Church Corn Podcast on Twitter if you guys want to comment or anything like that. So uh, let's jump right on into it. Um, if you've gotten a chance to listen to the podcast or anything like that, we haven't gotten a chance to really plug conference realignment or anything like that. It's a big story going on right now. So I figure let's just jump right on into it. Boys, what are your thoughts on conference realignment? Where do you think everything's going to end up? Just give me your general thoughts on it. You want to start? I was just, I got a long one. It is going to, um, just kind of come down to the superpowers, SEC, Big Ten, um, who's going to kind of start taking in more. And we're seeing it already. Uh, Big Ten has started to bring over some of the Pac-12 teams, and SEC is now looking at some of the ACC teams as, as these reports are coming out. I think the, and it, this isn't breaking news by any means, but I think the 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 cog that's going to hold up the Big Ten from moving, surpassing the SEC but if it works, they will, is getting Notre Dame. I thought you were going to say Washington State. They are a close second. <laughs> they are a close second, but I think, as we, we all know, if, if Notre Dame comes in, it's a big market, national already, we know, TV already, we know. So um, I, just think it's, I think it's interesting. It's, it's, the way, it's the way that it's going. It's driven by TV. It's driven by the money. And I know there's some consternation about, these bigger conferences, but you know they're going to get divided up. They're going to be, whether it's pods or essentially creating what kind of presents a little bit of an NFL alignment, which isn't which isn't bad because you still have your regions. Then you have bigger, wider net to pull in viewers. And why not, if you're the Big Ten, take up an entire Saturday of TV for your conference? If you can go 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., and that's, yeah, you, you want to take every bit you can get um, and get all the big teams that you can. Drake, what, or, yeah, Drake, what you got, buddy? Yeah, so two parts to this. One, Pac-12, ACC, you guys shot yourselves in the foot. It, you're, it's your fault this is all happening. You voted not to expand the playoff with guaranteed uh, opportunities at the playoff, guaranteed berths, and now the dominoes are falling. You could have locked up a playoff deal and some better TV contracts for a long time. So that's the first thing. Second thing is kind of like what Fitz was saying. Sorry, I, I'm having trouble calling you Fitz now that I know your real name. Uh, <laughs> but I, I see I see a world where we go Big Ten, SEC, in a very similar to an NFL-style format 
where you have a small conference playoff as opposed to just a conference championship game, and it's SEC big for the college football playoff title. I don't think it stops at 16 teams for each league. I think I think it gets up to 20 to 24 teams per league. Do you think that's a sweet number, uh, 24? Do you think 32 is a better number? I I, I think 16 is the number, right? Um, but I don't think it stops there. There's too much money to be made on these college programs that aren't also paying salaries. No, that's a good point. So since we are talking about it and we're going to the, almost like an NFL model, do you think that's a good thing for college football or a bad thing? I mean, it is now essentially connect. The Big Ten essentially is coast to coast from Maryland all the way down to uh, L.A. That's a coast to coast conference, which is fabulous for us. I mean, we get to go see places like the Coliseum now and that's about the only great one we added, but that's fine. So far, um, so far yeah. Um, do you think that that's a good thing for college football? Yeah, I. Well, yes and no. The NFL model, I should say, because uh, that's what it seemingly is going toward. Yes and no. I mean, part of, part of you know the allure to college football, what makes it so great for so many fans, used to be that it was regional based. You know. We had Missouri, Kansas State, Kansas. You had your 500-mile games where you knew you could travel to it. You had your, your regional rivals, and you know you were good. Yeah, and, like, actual legitimate rivals. Um, you know, I, I've said it on the pod a couple of times. I, I've never really enjoyed the Big Ten up until this point just because there's nobody that I truly hate as a as a program. Like like I did Texas and Oklahoma and Colorado. Um and the ones that I do, I don't have respect for, like I did those same programs. If if it stays regional, though, which is good, and I mentioned that before, too, you're still going to have your pods, but if it's regional, it, it, you kind of have that sense that you are then limiting that recruiting base. And right now, we, we understand what we've, what we've seen over the last 5, 10 years. We've got to protect that 500-mile area for recruiting in Nebraska. We've got to get back into St. Louis, things like that. But if you have this national brand, which the Huskers are, but now the Big Ten is a bigger national wider, and you're covering, you know, parents who, you know, and it's only one game, maybe a year, maybe every couple of years, but a parent from L.A. who could go see their son play in the Big Ten, but, you know, for another team, that's not a bad problem at all. Um, And so I think maybe the, the bigger this gets, but still keeping it regionalized with your rivalries and we can get into this down the line as well but um i it's not i don't think it's a problem i think it's it's but like everything else nebraska the big 10 they've got to get out ahead of it which they are and they've got to stay on the forefront or else they're going to be lagging behind i.e the pac-12 yeah for sure so i mean first thing kevin warren great recovery from 2020 on on adding these two programs he's in he the Caribbean right now. He's in the Cayman Islands uh, right now. He was on now. vacation when this happened. This is yeah. USC and UCLA saying, hey, we want to make money. Right. But second, the second part of this, and I think this has been lost in the conversation, while I think these two schools getting added to the Big Ten are great for the other sports, baseball and basketball, volleyball, I think, I think it's great for that. But at the same time, especially for those two schools, it's kind of a downfall there's a reason why the nba does not schedule back-to-back coast-to-coast games regularly so i i'm interested to see how the logistics play out for these other sports that are playing more than one game a week on the road 
are you going to have a Tuesday night if you're USC out in Maryland and then a Thursday or Friday night back home? Nebraska will. I don't think we're going to see the... Uh, two more than one game in a week. I think they're going to have to be. No, cogn- not fo- I'm not no, talking They're going to have though. to be cognizant. Oh, of basketball and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, if but if you've got those road trips, if you can take the time to set it up logistically, like you mentioned, and it's working either your way back home or things like that. But just take a look at what we've got now. They can do more classes online. They can do some things remotely. It's not like you've got your textbook and you've got to get back and you've got to reschedule these tests or things like that. So if, if you break that part down, it gives us a better opportunity and it makes it a little bit more comfortable. But yeah, I mean, Are you we really USC, talking about school, USC, UCLA, well, they're still student athletes as much as we, you know, you can go down the NIL, you can go down the, their employees, which is, you know, the Pac-10 issue right now. You can go down that they're just you know some of these kids are just there for sports and see where it takes them but at the end of the day they've got it they have to stay eligible yeah um and it's it is important i think that's going to be an interesting talking point to follow well, i i love this move for baseball too by the way i love it for baseball so i got a question for you guys this was a question that was uh sent in to us by neb huskers 1988 he listened to us on the podcast as well but since we're talking about conference realignment and scheduling and different things like that he mentions if conferences get that big, say a thirty-team league, how do you schedule that? Do you go to pods? Do you go? I mean, what what would your preferential split be? Yeah, so I mean, preferential. I my preference is it doesn't get that big, but we're going that direction. I I think you end up very similar to the NFL, where you have a Big Ten, East, South, North, and West, and same thing with the SEC because. The SEC is not just going to stay the SEC. They're gonna they're gonna expand beyond Texas. I think somehow. Well, if you've got if you've got twenty teams, I think you've got to do four five team pods yep. because now you're you know because it, but they're they're playing and then there's the rotation at the no matter what the Big Ten does, I believe it's going to only make the scheduling better because we've seen right now the teams that I E Iowa that have only played Ohio State like once in the last seven or eight years, for example, in Nebraska, plays them twice some seasons. So you just go through, but if they've got to, you you figure out, you know, and and Jeffrey the Greek, at Jeffrey the Greek on Twitter, uh, he's been on our podcast. He put out a, a, he broke them down, and he had some cool names, you know, the, the Great Lakes, and then you've got the, you know, things like that. But if you start looking at it creatively, you've got some legs that you could really do some cool stuff keep three or four constant, consistent games every year, and then switch out, you know, we're going to play this pod. And it's really, like you said, it really just hammers home the point that it's following the NFL model because you know ahead of time and maybe a couple years in advance, oh, AFC West is playing the NFC South this year. And so now there's some excitement like, hey, we've been wanting to go to, bring it full circle back to the stadium, we've been wanting to go to the Coliseum. We haven't had a chance to go to... Um, you know, let's go up to South Bend when, when Notre Dame is in, you know, although Nebraska fans have already overtaken that stadium once, um, they can try to do it again. But I, I know I'm on, we can't stop it. The train's moving down the tracks. We can't stop it. And the money is there. And why not? I mean, why not? That's where it's, that's where it's going. And we all want a way to define who is the best team, who's getting there and take the, take the elements of, well, you know, because when we saw when we were in COVID, we could see, 
It just kind of seems like they're favoring. They really want to shoehorn Ohio State into this game, but now it's it's going to have to be dictated on the field if they get to this place more like the basketball model, which is not bad. Yeah. So I got a question for both of you guys. I, I have an opinion on it too, and maybe I'll answer it later. We were... Do you guys think there's any way Notre Dame doesn't end up in the Big Ten? No. I mean, it's it's culturally it's a fit. Monetarily, I think it's a fit, and proximity-wise, it's a fit. I, I, I'm honestly shocked Notre Dame is not already a member of the Big Ten. Um, I do realize that they are a money-printing machine, so they can pretty much do what they want. I just don't see any way in the new world of college football that they stay independent. They, they can't go to the SEC. That's a terrible and fit. They've been a quasi-ACC team forever. Yeah, and I know, I think it was during, what, the last – COVID, was it COVID yeah, year that they, that they jumped in the ACC conference mm. uh, for, was it basketball or was it basketball well, they, football? Yeah, they're always in the ACC for basketball. They okay. used to be the Big East, but that's what football, football, they dove full into the ACC. Yep, and then that's when they played Clemson and everything like that. And then, yep, okay. So, um, no, I think that's a uh, I think that's a great thing, and I, I think that's the next big domino to fall. Yeah. Once Notre Dame falls, everything's going to fall into place. And I do think... I do think you're going to get your two major conferences, but I've got a question. Do you think the Big 12 has done enough to remain a major conference? No. you got two questions to answer here, Fitz. Notre Dame and then the Big 12. Notre Dame is in. Um, I, I think they're going to try to um, lead the conversation, though, and say, we're going to do this before the other ACC teams leave. We want to keep it on our time and our schedule. And, yes, the Big, the Big 12 is going to stay, but it's going to, just going to be less and less and less because – there's a chance that there's some more teams that are going to lose. They're going to lose to go into uh, whether it's the Big Ten or somewhere else. So it'll be there. It'll be there, but it'll it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. All right, perfect. Well, we are going to take a quick commercial break here, and then we will be back with our big scripture here on sixteen twenty the zone. Got no reason for the things I. Your Omaha area forecast presented by Funplex Water Park and Rides from the KETV Newswatch 7 Weather Center on 1620 The Zone. Watch out for some patchy fog early Saturday. Otherwise, expect mostly sunny skies throughout the day. Staying warm and humid with highs in the mid to upper 80s. I'm meteorologist Sean Everson from KETV Newswatch 7. At Iowa Western. All right, thanks for joining us here again. We got Zach, Drake, and Fitz here. We are going to break down a couple of teams here for our big scriptures. Uh, let's start with the mighty Purdue Boilermakers. Great start, right? Um, so they are coming off one of their best seasons. Uh, it's a 9-1 season with a win over Tennessee. Pretty good, I would say. Um, Controversial win. Uh, you know, a win's a win. Doesn't say, matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning is winning. Winning is winning, boys. Um, Thanks, now, Tom. Do you think they can parlay the last two seasons of success into a successful season this year? And by the way, they do avoid Ohio State, Michigan, but they do get Penn State for their first game of the year. Purdue is a anomaly a little bit. They've got... They kind of have reverted back to playing a little bit more of the basketball on grass, which has helped them. You've got a you've got a, a quarterback in Aiden O'Connell who was seventy two percent percentage com, per, completion percentage, uh, throwing it around quite a bit, over three thousand yards. 
but no running game to speak of. And you, I think they brought the fullback back for a year. Okay, Husker fans will appreciate they, that. They did because he ran all over us. <laughs> but I just don't know. You know, do they have enough balance to um, to compete week in and week out? Now they had some some upsets last year, and then they had some real duds as well. Uh, they've lost quite. You know, they've lost some guys on defense, and uh, the wide receiver room is, is a little bit depleted as well. So a couple of their playmakers both on both sides of the ball. So. I don't. I don't see them making a jump. I don't see them uh, being top four in the West for most of the season. So, in my opinion, no. I don't know. Could they? I. I don't think they're getting to nine wins this year. Yeah, I. I don't think they hit nine either. I. I think they're seven to eight. Um, I don't. I don't know. I kind of feel like Jeff Brom may have stolen a little bit of the magic from Northwestern. Where you know one year's terrible, then next year's good. I don't think they fall off a ton this year. They did lose some playmakers, but the way they have restructured over there reminds me of some teams I watched growing up. You know, Colt Brennan, Hawaii, Alex Smith, Utah, kind of those teams. Even Garner Minshew, Washington State, and Cliff Kingsbury, Texas Tech, where everything is pretty much high percentage passes to playmakers and letting them make things happen. And if if you can preach that and preach getting your playmakers enough touches, which it, by all accounts they have done that with their top guys over the last few years, you're going to be able to get some of those playmakers that create mismatches against anybody, and you're going to be able to take advantage of it. And they've really turned into that. Um, it's something I'd like to see Nebraska do a lot more of. Maybe not the passing game, but turn into your advantage, and we don't seem to do that. They had a lot of turnover going into last year on their almost the entire defensive staff, but they had a playmaker up top uh, on the edge. Uh, they had a couple in the back, but do they have enough of those guys to cover up the rest of the warts that that make up that that program, not program that team? Yeah, that was going to be my next question because last year they lost David Bell, who was absolutely shredded teams almost every game he played. Uh, Carl Loftus, who is an edge rusher, and uh, Carl Loftus, I believe, was a first-round pick, maybe a second-round pick. David Bell, I don't know how he lasted as long as he did. And then last year, they lost Rondell Moore. I mean, they have lost a ton on the offensive side of the ball, but the steady has been senior quarterback Aiden O'Connell, who he'll be his third year under Jeff Brom. They were second in the Big Ten in yardage behind the Ohio State University with Everything that they've got coming back, they do have an experienced guy as the as the head man and as as the head coach. You guys really don't think they can win nine games this year? I I just don't see nine. I I but I don't see a massive drop off. I you know they they have a lot of new young inexperienced pieces coming in. I I think they're going to be a a good team. I don't think they're going to be a Big West championship team. So I, I will say this. Here's the big games that they've got at home. They've got Penn State at home. That opens up the year. They've also got Nebraska Syracuse at home. Syracuse isn't a slouch anymore. No, Syracuse isn't terrible. Uh, they do have Nebraska at home, and we all know how terrible Purdue's field is. But they do have to go on the road at Wisconsin. But then they get Iowa at home, too. And same thing with Nor- Northwestern. They get Northwestern at home. Not that Northwestern's a juggernaut, but if you're trying to get to nine, you need every W that you can get, and that's one I think they can definitely steal from Northwestern. Not saying they're a great team, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to hold hold off on making any judgments on Northwestern for now. 
Um, just because, you know, they've had those quick turnarounds after terrible seasons or slow starts and somehow still made the, the Big Ten championship. I... Like I said, I can't say it any say it any different way. Purdue's going to be good. Yeah, I just don't know if they can get over the hump in a couple of those big games. Well, so I've got a question for you guys. And since we're talking about the offensive side of the ball, and then they do have two transfers that could make a big impact this year, both in the receiving core and Tyrone Tracy and Charlie Jones, both from Iowa. How do you think those two gentlemen translate to? This year, do you think they make a giant impact? Um, I personally think Charlie Jones will make an impact on the receiving core and on the special team yep. side because he's a phenomenal return man. Yep. Do you think they'll have an immediate impact this year um, where we see that they can replace the lost yardage and touchdowns from David Bell and Rondell Moore? I don't know if they'll replace those two areas immediately, but what you said earlier, the type of offense, and, and Drake, you mentioned it as well, a little bit of the dink and dunk, uh, keeping up that percentage. If they if they're as capable as Bell and and more yards after the catch, then they've got they've got a chance. But it just it becomes now how do they get indoctrinated into the offense? Do they pick it up quickly? Are they are they ready to go? Um, you're you're putting a lot on those two. But I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to it. There's no running game to speak of. They're gonna go through. There's three guys. There isn't a there isn't a, a, a big name. There's just three guys, and you're going to see all three. You've got the fullback who, at some point in time, like happened last year, they're going to try to run that that player as much as possible. So until that side, until that part gets fixed, uh, that passing game is what it could be. It's not. I don't think it's hitting its potential. So, and then uh, the last part, though, kind of for me is what does Purdue have to do on their own? But if Teams are getting, other teams are getting better, like we suspect Nebraska is going to be, you know, with Minnesota and all their turmoil right now, what seems to be happening, you know, what's what's that going to look like? So, you know, it's going to be interesting. I don't, I don't think they do it. I'm just going to leave it at that. All right, perfect. Well, that was our first uh, team for the Big Scripture Breakdown. Uh, be sure to check us out on the podcast tomorrow when we'll also be breaking down Purdue a little bit more in depth. So be sure to check us out then. And also, uh, on the other side of the break, we'll be breaking down the Iowa Hawkeyes. So be sure to tune in for that one as well. And uh, we'll be right back in just a moment. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. We've got part two of the Big Scripture. This is where we break down teams in the Big Ten. Uh you know, we, we hit some key points with them. Um, we just finished up with Purdue, and now we are heading to the dreaded Iowa Hawkeyes. So, yep, that's what I expected here. Um, so let's talk about the Hawkeyes. You know, they're coming off a Big Ten championship appearance. Um, they had a pretty decent year, I would say, overall. Anytime you win 10 games, that's a pretty good year. Uh, do you think they can make a similar run this year as they did last year? No. Agreed. Thanks, boys. You want to go and, a little deeper into that? <laughs> my, here, here's my reasoning. S- several times, you know, since we've been in the conference, Iowa's had a year very similar to this. With a lot of returning firepower, and we expect them to do it again, and they end up 7-5, and 8-4, and four, which is, I, I would still love to be there right now. God, that'd be way better than three. Yeah, so... No, I and you know Brian Ferentz, 
Brian Ferentz is Brian Ferentz. Um, the best it, way to describe Brian Ferentz is Nebraska fans were so happy that they brought back Brian Ferentz as Iowa fans were so happy that Nebraska brought back Scott Frost. Yeah, exactly. But Petrus is constantly underwhelming. If you can even slow down that running attack, I, I think you're you always have a chance to win. Now I'll give him. We'll give him a little bit of credit on the uh, special the t- teams, <laughs> tight end side. When you bring Sam Laporta back, I mean, could be you know best. Obviously, preseason top ten or top tight end in the Big Ten, uh, probably top five in the country. Yeah. So that gives that gives him an outlet. It gives him a weapon. He's big. He's got good hands, and he can run after the catch. Um, but as we as we broke it down on the podcast few weeks ago that offensive line is in a transition and if that doesn't hold up and the running game can't hold up you know they're they're going to be in a in a world of hurt they've got they've got a strong wide receiver uh Johnson from Omaha uh they've got a couple other pieces but we just as we talked about before last break Purdue now has two guys Jones and Tracy from Iowa so are they are they filling that up there's a there's a uh, a trend in the Big Ten right now. Not Nebraska, although it hasn't been proven yet. Ohio State's definitely not in this mix. Some teams that are really, really going to struggle in that wide receiver room and how they how they fix that. And if they're dependent upon that and that's what they want to be, and it, and Brian Ferentz has kind of gone that route, I, I don't think they're hitting that mark. Now, defense can, can hold them a little bit, and it's going to be interesting. Zach, what do you think? I do think that they can have a similar run this year as they did last year. And the reason is, while they do lose uh, Goodson in the backfield, and while they do lose Linderbaum, who is the best center in the country by far, and I don't know how he lasted into the mid-20s or 30s to get to the Baltimore Ravens, I think the rest of that line has improved to the point that if you can get a competent center in there, they can do some really good things because that defense is always what it is. Now, I think the problem that they have to solve is going to be the quarterback situation where you've got – Technically, four to five guys on the roster, and that's not including walk-ons. But you've got Petrus, who's experienced. I mean, let's let's not take away. He's, he's an experienced guy, but he also went 10 and 9. 10 touchdowns, 9 interceptions last year. And they still made it to the Big Ten Championship. I literally think if they can cut those turnovers in half, they could be right back there again. But do you think Alex Padilla is a guy that can come in and unseat him? Do you think uh, Petrus is a starter, or do you think it's the freshman that comes in and sneaks in and steals it from both of them? I don't know anything about the freshman. Um, I will say, I when Padilla played against Nebraska, I thought the offense actually looked better. They didn't score; they hummed the, around a little bit. Yeah, yeah, they they were zooming a little bit. You know, kind of like Logan Smothers for Nebraska. I, I was going to say Luke McCaffrey. You know, brought a spark. Um, yeah, thank just you for one, the eye rolls. Thank just, you for the just, eye rolls. Just one spark, that's it. Yeah. Anyways, um, and I I actually think, well, like I said, Petrus has been underwhelming. I think he's better than the numbers show. Um, I think a lot of his turnovers come in situations where Iowa has been so committed to the run, and now they're behind late, and that's not what that offense is built for. So I I think his numbers are better than what, what they are. I mean, I he's better than his numbers. I just... Don't he, he is still quite inconsistent and underwhelming. And I blame like I blame a lot of the things that's gone Nebraska's way. I blame Brian Ferentz for, for a lot of the lack of explosiveness out of that offense. 
Yeah, I, I really, I respect Kurt Ferentz for what he's done. Um, he, he's a phenomenal coach. He's, he's one of the longest reigning coaches in the country, not just the Big Ten, but in the country. Mm-hmm. So I, I have nothing but respect for what he's done there at Iowa, and he's built him into a somewhat of a powerhouse. I mean, they're not your Alabamas, but he's built him into a very consistent program that could do it yearly, and they're always going to be there. You, you can't really beat them unless you're a Purdue. Yeah, Purdue is the one team that seems to have their number. No idea why, but they do. Um, well, I assume Ohio State would have their number if they ever had to play them. Yeah, um, well, you know, it's a once-in-a-decade kind of thing. So Yeah. But I think last time they played, didn't Iowa beat Ohio State? Yeah, that was a Kinnick night game. That's what I thought it was. And playing in Kinnick is, playing in Kinnick is, is a different experience because the fans are right on top of you. But it's an even different experience at night. Yeah, which is why I'm glad when we go there, at least right now, when we whenever we go there, it is a day game. It's going to be an 11 a.m. kick because it's Black Friday. So I'm good with that. I would actually love to go to Kinnick this year to be able to you know, take part yeah. of everything because I think this year in Nebraska is going to beat them. But anyway, uh, Phil Parker is one of the top defensive minds in, in college football. Top two, top three, I mean, he can make a pretty good case for one just based on consistency and what he's able to do with anybody that gets in there. G, there were a top 10 defense last year, 25 interceptions. Do you think that's something that can be recreated this year? Not the, not the turnovers so much, but more the top 10 rating. That. Yeah, I, I think they're going to be top 10, top 15. That that defense is always loaded. And that's the only way, and I'm going to take it a step further. You you talked about not those 25 interceptions, but I legitimately think if you look at some of the scores that they had in their games, they're they're winning some close games. They're not putting up, they're not putting up, you know, you know Pac-12, Big 12 uh, offensive numbers. But if they're not getting the turnovers that are leading to either short fields or even points on the board off of that turnover, they're not going to sustain what they did last year. That was and that's that's one of those that is the regression is going to drop and it's going to hit hard this year and I think that's where you're going to start to we're going to see Iowa of uh the 7 and 5, 8 and 4 they get a win maybe where they they shouldn't, they maybe take a loss that they shouldn't they're in a lot of games, but they just don't have enough to get over if their defense isn't producing those points. They they're they didn't have a balance. It was defense carrying as far as scoring potential, defense carrying the offense. And that cannot happen. As good as Phil Parker is, as good as some of the pieces, and Riley Moss coming back is huge. But again, let's let's be honest. Interceptions, it's you can't you can't script that. You can't you can play for it. You can put yourself in good positions, but there's so many things that have to go right. And then once you get the ball in your hands, the next phase of it has to happen. And they were just hitting that a ridiculous percentage last year. Yeah, and going to Iowa, right? I just I don't see. I, I agree with you. I think there's some points where they're not going to be able to get over the hump in crunch time. But I think when they lose games, especially the games that they shouldn't, it's not because of a mental error or a mistake they're not beating themselves it's because that offense isn't built for firepower so if they if they need to score late they're they're going to struggle so um i don't know that they have to score off a defense or or create short fields for themselves because their special teams is pretty darn near elite as well uh that defense just needs to do what it does really well and that's prevent scoring so question for both of you then. So since we're talking about the defense and how Phil Parker is a phenomenal D coordinator, which all of us know, 
is Phil Parker the Brent Venables of Iowa, a.k.a. he's not going to go anywhere until the perfect job pops up, whether that be Iowa, whether that be somewhere else? Or do you think he's a career defensive coordinator because he's phenomenal at what he does? How, how old is he now? Um, he will be... Uh, I think he's in his late 60s, he'll be maybe 60. 70s. Yeah, he'll be no, 60 this he, year. he's not going for a head coaching job. I, I don't think. No, it, he's he's going to... There might be an opportunity to, to, to go maybe for some more money somewhere yeah. and get that in a program, maybe maybe the SEC or something something of those uh, of that caliber. But I don't see him, no. I don't see him going as a head coach. In this stage and as long, I mean, I don't know the exact year of the contract, but didn't uh, Kirk Ferentz just extend again? I think yeah. he's got I think he's in Isn't he on a lifetime deal still, at this point? I think it's like 28 or something like 27 that. 27 or 28. Yeah, he just and signed I, a nice, and I think, nice deal. And Boss I think, man is nodding at me. Yeah, yeah I think he, it's lifetime. And he... And they treat their assistants right with contracts. And so, and you know, every time Kirk gets a, a raise, I think Parker's going up with that. And if they, if they're going to, if they're tied together as much as Ferens and uh, Barta are tied together, why would you want to leave? Yeah. I, I actually think he is at Iowa until Ferens is gone or he retires. Yeah, I, that's kind of what I'm thinking as well. I, I think he has no interest in another job. I mean, why why would you leave if you've got that set up there? It's it's it'd be a kind of a dumb move for me, I think. But um, yep, that's what we got for Iowa. If if you missed it, um, you can check it out on the podcast as well. We did a couple of really good breakdowns a couple of weeks back on Iowa, so be sure to check those out as well. Uh, when we return, we'll go through our Big Ten uh, breakout players this year. Um, and tune in uh, then. Thanks. All right, we are back. Thanks for joining the Church of the Corn this morning. Uh, this segment, we're going to be breaking down the breakout players of the Big Ten this year. Uh, just any guys that you think are going to break out that could be on the team, that could be transfers, anything like that. Um, I want to see what you got, Fitz. Fitz, you start us off. Uh, I'm looking at connected to what we just got done talking about before the last break in our in our big scripture with recapping Iowa uh Justin Jacobs uh, uh, linebacker from stole Iowa mine. I hey you know he must be good if we're both thinking <laughs> both thinking of the same thing um you know I I don't I think he's got some guys around him is he going to be able to produce to the level of those of like uh, you know Campbell um, you you took you said you had him as well. Why are you why are you high on on uh, Justin Jacobs? I just think well, since you brought up Campbell, I think that's a big reason. It, it's hard to match the production of a guy who gets 144 tackles in a year. Like that's that's pretty darn tough to do in any conference. I just think having Campbell next to him will free up enough space for Jacobs to make the plays that he needs to at that linebacker spot. Plus, like I said, I've got nothing but confidence in a Phil Parker defense. So Drake, what do you got, my man? Uh, can I can I pull one off the pod and just say the whole Nebraska wide receiver room? No, I'm, I'm going to mute kidding. you. <laughs> uh, I, but I do, I do think a breakout player is in that room. I think there's a couple in our room, but I'm going to go with Elante Brown um, just like I did on our six-pack just because, you know, we talked about it. They went out of their way to mention his name throughout spring ball when they were going out of their way to mention nobody, and his name just kept popping up. Um, he's made some... In his short time on the field, he's made some pretty spectacular plays, all not on special teams. I feel like I feel like because special teams was so bad, he tried so hard to make a miracle happen every time, and it just looked bad. But, I mean, I remember a one-handed catch on a sideline, I think, against Buffalo. Ended up being out of bounds. 
Um, he caught a swing pass and made four guys miss before he got tackled for a three-yard game. He's pretty electrifying with the ball. Um, he's got to work out a couple of kinks, but I think he's going to be big time. Yeah, I, I think Elante Brown could be your surprise guy in Nebraska this year. I'll, I'll start off with Jacobs as well, just because I kind of did my breakdown on it with you, Fitz. Um, I just think he's going to be a, a playmaker for that Iowa defense this year. Uh, Fitz, who you got next? I'm going to go. Let's uh, let's let's fill the uh, the glasses, Husker fans, and I'm going to go with Casey Thompson. Um, you think he's going to beat out Purdy? Yes. I, I think you he's do got, love Purdy. I do love Purdy, and I can't wait till I'm right and I'm gonna rub it in everyone's face. Well, I will. We'll take it if that if that happens. I just think you've got if if his thumb is good to go, which all indications are pointing that it is. His he's got he's got, and I hate the, I hate the word. He's got that it factor. He's got more game experience. He's played. You know, look what he did for Texas against Oklahoma. Threw for like 800 yards in that game, 17 touchdowns, exaggerations. But he has the he has the ability to come in and be a difference maker on the team, which then means that if he's doing that, then he's breaking out from what people were giving him the opportunity to do being new at Nebraska. So Casey Thompson for me, and I don't personally believe it's Nebraska goes as Casey Thompson goes. I think they've got some really good parts around him on both sides of the ball. I think he's just going to come in and he's going to be a pleasant, pleasant surprise for Husker fans and something to deal with for other big 10 teams. Drake, what you got, bud? Uh, My number two is Max Melton Melton at Rutgers cornerback Uh, ended up starting 10 games as a freshman. Uh, Actually had one heck of a season last year. Uh, I think he really breaks out on, on the national level. I mean, his stats from last year, started 10 games as a freshman, 28 tackles, three interceptions, one return for a touchdown. Uh, he led his team in takeaways. He was fourth team, all Big Ten pick. I, I think he's just going to continue to grow. I mean, any any freshman that can come in and do that um, on the east side of the conference where those teams can put up points, you're playing Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Uh, that's pretty impressive. I, I, I think he's going to have a big year. Yeah, he I, he's definitely one on a lot of watch lists this year, so I think he's going to be a, a good one to look out for. Um, I'm going to take Davion Prim, the running back from Michigan State. Um, Jalen Berger transferred from Wisconsin to Michigan State this year. I don't think Berger's going to be the starter. I think Davion Prim, uh, based upon his spring and what he's done this year, has done enough to secure that spot. And we all seen last year how much Mel Tucker likes running that ball. They're going to run that ball into the ground this year. Um, I think both guys are going to get a lot of carries, but I think Prim will be the starter. Um, Fitz, what do you got next, man? Uh, I'm going to go with a uh, – I had mentioned with Iowa the importance of Sam Laporta to that offense, and I'm going to go with uh, Theo Johnson, tight end from Penn State. Tight ends are heavily involved in the passing game for the Nittany Lions. Uh, he's a player that if you're reading the – Following the news, following the, the the Lions, he's gotten a lot of uh, great feedback from his position coach. Um, he's he's had some appearances. He's got six starts. He hasn't done a lot, but he's got the size. He's got the speed. And in again in that offense, you know they get that running game going, and all of a sudden there's that tight end popping something for twenty yards. Next, you know, a couple plays down, and and now. Now he goes for 40. So they've got some guys on the edges that that free some free that space up in the middle. They've got a running game that you've got to be that you've got to be worried about. 
Um, I think he's going to be somebody that could help Penn State uh, do some damage in the East this 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 season. Yeah. Who's your third? Um, my third. Well, real quick, uh, Eric Cartman for president shot us a tweet that uh, he said he also agrees with you. He thinks Alante Brown can break out. He thinks Mickey Joseph's going to be the dude that really helps kind of push him over the edge there. Um, my third is I'm going to absolutely butcher this name, but JT Tui Molu, uh, the defensive end from Ohio State. That's who I have. Yeah, I, I figured he's. I mean, you when you watched him last year, the kid just popped off the screen, and he was a true freshman. The number four recruit in the country last year. I honestly think with uh, Knowles, the defensive coordinator from Ohio State going, or sorry, uh, Oklahoma State to Ohio State, with him going there, I do feel like by the time that this kid's a junior, he is going to be a top five pick. I think he's that talented, and in that defense with pressure-based, I I think he'll be there. Uh, Drake, what do you got? Well, I I mean, I had him. I had him, but uh, he reminds me a lot of Chase Young. I'll say, you can just tell me I'm right, and we can go from there. That's fine, too. (laughs) But I, I also like uh, Dean Ingram, wide receiver at Wisconsin. They don't have a lot there. I think he's going to be force-fed the ball with the tight ends when they have to pass. No, that makes sense. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we are going to get to a couple more of the picks. I know we've all got at least one more pick. Fitz has, has two more. So uh, be sure to join us after the break, and we will finish our breakdown of the Big Ten uh, breakout players this year. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for joining us again uh, for the Church of the Corn on Saturday morning from 8 to 10. Um, joined by Zach, Drake, and Fitz here. Uh, we're just going to finish up our breakout players in the Big Ten. Uh, we left off with Fitz. Fitz, what, uh, what's your next player? I'm going to go uh, running back from Michigan State, Jalen Berger. Uh, he's a junior transfer from Wisconsin. You don't say. Did you already bring him up? Yeah, I said that his backup's going to beat him out. Ah, maybe that's why. As soon as you said backup, I just I just lost it. So, Fitz um, in his defense, he said he was joined by himself. So you're good. <laughs> well, sounds like we've covered all of the breakout players that we can think of in the Big Ten. Uh, Drake, where are we going to take this now? Uh, well, so we were talking off off air. What we decided we're going to do. Three Nebraska guys now that we're looking forward to seeing? Well, yeah, we kind of figured we finished up with some of the big guys that we thought in the Big Ten that would break out. So, yeah, let's let's go to the homegrown Nebraska guys. Um, you know, we're going to figure out – each of us are going to go through a few of them, and we'll see what we got. Um, I'm, I'll start off. I think my offensive player that's going to really break out this year, I think he's, he's a transfer. He's brand new to the team. I don't know if this counts or not, but I really, really think Anthony Grant is going to have a phenomenal year this year. I think that's going to be your starter at running back. I think that kid is just going to ball out this year. So I think he's going to do some phenomenal things because he can be involved in so many different parts of the offense. Um, So I think he's going to be a really good breakout player. Drake, uh, who who do you got for offense? Uh, I got to go with our guy, Chancellor Brewington, the executioner. Uh, I think he's going to take some souls this year. I well, I think I think Whipple's going to build off of that fear that guys have on him coming around the edge, and he's going to get some some little outs out there and and t- turn him upfield because he's athletic. He's he's not a true tight end. He's no, he's I I kind of almost look at him as a big wide receiver that can break someone's spine yeah, and when he hits him. He still runs like a wide receiver. Yeah, so I. I hope I hope he breaks out. He's probably my favorite player on the team. Oh, he's an absolute joy to talk to. Like you said, just a great player. Um, and and I yeah, I think he's. I really really want to see him have a big part of the offense. Fitz, who do you got on offense? On offense, I'm going to go with uh, a young guy, uh, John Rambonner. Ooh, he, going with a freshman. Huh? Going with a freshman. 
uh, could make a little bit of an impact uh, early on special teams, but I really do think that he's got the the size, the frame, the body type that there's. It's obvious where they're going with that wide receiver room. Um, average of five ten, maybe five eleven, for the receivers for the last few years. Now we're moving in. I think average is probably closer to six three. They've got they've got the frame to go up and get the ball. They've got the frame to block on the edge. And I think he's somebody that, you know, they're going to be able to find a little bit of a role for him. And I know we talked about it on the podcast, and, and Drake asked, you know, does that does he get his four? I think he gets four games, maybe nothing more than that. Um, but at least he's in there, and we get to see, and it's going to start putting some pressure on even, you know, some of those uh, older, older guys in that room. And I, I think he's a late-in-the-year four guy. I don't think he gets his four until late, partly because I think they work early on getting that offense home, and it's a new offense. Um, and partly, I think, I think part of it's going to be a result of injuries or something. Well, how about this? Take it a step further with the confidence that I have that we are going to see more times this season than we have probably in the last three seasons together where the backups are getting more run. And so Zach's guy, Purdy, getting more time in the second half, going to get in some of those backups as well. You know, whoever that that second, third-string quarterback, and now they're bringing some of those other guys in as well, the freshman wide receivers, they've got some time together in practice. That's where we're going to be able to see him uh, a little bit earlier, I believe. And then I agree, though, too, with the the last part of the season. Maybe he gets two or three at the the end there. But he's not going to – He's going to not burn his red shirt. I don't want to steal your guys' thunder, obviously, but Chance left the room and gave me all the power, so I'm going to steal the mic oh, for a God, second. Oh, God, here we go. Wait, Back is this Church of the Corn? Is Church of the Corn. Is this God? Oh, man, I don't know if I want to say that. <laughs> I think, is that T.O.? Back to Jaron Bonner for a second, though. You guys mentioned about that he's going to probably get in his four games. Does he seem like a type of guy that you think this this staff wants to give those four games to and get him some 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 catches just to make sure – He's maybe appeased a little bit, not putting his name in the transfer portal by the end of the year. Yeah, I, I really do. I think uh, Janorant Bonner is a kind of guy that's that a lot of people are excited about on the recruiting trail, and I see why. The kid is just – he looks like a grown man right now at 18 years old, and it was between Nebraska and Georgia Tech. I, that was a steal for Nebraska to get him. It reminds that, me of the first time we saw Maurice Purify. Yeah, just, just a grown man out there that – you can get a senior DB that's going to go. That's exactly what I said. Buddy. By the way. Well, and we haven't we haven't seen that for a while. You know, we've got guys that can get, uh, you know, eight, ten, tough yards on third down on a catch across the middle. Um, but yeah, catching stuff in the corner, um, getting you know six yard catch and and just getting dragging a, a, a defensive back or two for two or three yards to get that first down. It just hasn't been there. Yeah, I, I think he gets his four. He gets some catches. I don't know, to answer your question, Jimmy, if it's about appeasing him. I thought I was God. <laughs> Sorry, God. Uh, I don't know if it's about appeasing him for for transfer portal reasons. I I actually think it's more because they want to see what he can do. I, I think he's locked in with Joseph. I don't, as long as Joseph's there, he's there. I, I really believe that. Uh, so I think it's more about seeing his potential in live action. Uh, I, I'm super excited for him. I think he's, I think he's going to have a great career here. Uh, I, I think he's going to be from starting in year two. He's going to be what we all hoped Omar Manning would be already. 
That's that's a great comparison. I mean, I think Omar's a little bit bigger, but yeah, it's a big body type wide receiver. So I think that's kind of what we're hoping for. Fitz, why don't you start us off on the defensive side? Who do you got for a defender? Um, and by the way, you're welcome. You guys are both going to yell at me, but it, it's not if even. You say a kicker. It's 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 Brian Bushini. It's easy. Oh, he's on my list. Of course he is. He's a kicker, and he does count for offense, defense, and special teams. But we, I digress. I'm going to go with uh, for a breakout. He's going to see the field. He's going to be a monster on special teams, and we know that he wants that contact. I'm going with Ernest Hausman. Ooh, okay. I like he, that one. He is homegrown we, talent. We've talked. We just got done talking about Bonner having the body type that they want and is ready-made for getting some games in this season. I think Ernest Hausman is a guy that came onto campus already close, and the transformation that he's gone through, just to add to what he already had, is going to put him in position. Uh, He's a smart, smart player. Loves the game, studies the game, uh, works hard, and wants it. And I think that's going to be, add that to just his physical presence and capabilities. He's going to be somebody that we are going to see. And he's not, you know, he's he's not going to be a starter. You know, maybe he pushes for that at the end. Who knows? Uh, but, you know, an unfortunate injury could get him a little bit more run. But I think we're going to see him special teams. And then, you know, games that Nebraska has put away, He's gonna he's gonna be able to throw the bones early, dare I say, in Ireland. Ooh, I like it. I like it. I'm gonna go with Marquez Buford. Uh, the guy's added a ton of strength. Looked great on special teams. I mean, he's he had a couple of the most impressive tackles I saw last year in coverage, breaking down in the open field, getting that return man sometimes for a loss. And I think he's a guy on top of that list that can kind of fill that JoJo role, bigger guy who can cover those tight ends. I I think Marquez Buford is going to be the breakout player on defense. Uh, both really good picks. And uh, Fitz, since you brought up Houseman, you know, when we had him on the podcast and, and he brought up how much special teams meant to this team and how much of a buy-in that is. I think that's a huge thing for the attitude of this team and how it's going to turn this year. So I think those are both great picks. Um, I could see both really helping out on special teams a lot. Buford a little bit more on the defensive side of the ball, but but I think both will really help out on special teams. I'm going to go with another newcomer. Um, I mentioned this on After Hours the other day. Uh, I'm going to go with Omar Brown. I think Omar Brown, now that he's got all off-season issues issues behind him, he's going to come into that defense. Um, I really think he's going to take one of those spots. I don't know if it's a nickel spot or if it's one of the outside spots, but I really do think Omar Brown is that talented to be able to lock down big time guys, and I think we're going to see that very early in the season. Are Why you, is he? Are you trading in your Tommy Hill cap for an Omar Brown cap? No, no, no. I think Tommy Hill's one of them as well. I think. Remember, I think I think we're going to do a four-two-five defense this year. Okay. So I think as far as the DB room goes, there's no such thing as safeties and corners anymore. They're all DBs. So I think they're training to be uh, switch them in and out. So I think we're going to see a lot of different looks in that backfield. I think you're going to have some starters. But I think Tommy Hill's going to play a lot. Omar Brown's going to play a lot. You've got Farmer back there. You've got, I think, Buford will play a spot. Newsome. Uh, Clark. I mean, they're, Gates. They're, they're, there's just a ton of dudes back there that it's really hard to tell who, who's, who's going to make that, those, that starting five. Is, I don't think you ain't going to play. You'll still play, but yeah. that starting five is going to be tough to crack. Is that the most competitive room on the team? 
that DB room? Oh, uh, I don't know. I'd say either the DB room or the running back room. The running back room to me is so deep with guys that have so many different talents that, I mean, who who do you you can't make a wrong decision? I guess. Well, we and we know that, and I'll, and I think Fisher said the same thing in the past few years. But Apple White said it, you know, already this when he came on board at Nebraska. He wants a one A, he wants a one B, and he wants a a one C. You know, if he's got a one D and a one E, whatever, he just wants guys that are when he puts it in the game. Other than the number, we're not going to see much difference. It's we're going to go. So I got a quick, quick thing for you guys. If there's a one A, one B, one C, Fitz, who's your one A, one B, one C? Then Drake, I want yours for running back. Yes, running back. Uh, for me, I'm going to go one A is Ramir Johnson. Okay. B is Anthony Grant, and C is um, I'm going to go Yant. Okay. Or Drake, what do you got? I, I'm going Anthony Grant one A, and then then I'm going Yant one B, with Ramir being one C. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little bit more aligned with you, Drake. I've got Grant one, uh, I've got Yant two, and I've got Ramir three. But I really think that Grant and Ramir can be on the field at the same time, doing a lot of the same things, motion out of the backfield. R- let me tell you this: if you could see this backfield. Purdy, because that's my starter. And then you've got Grant and Ramirez in the backfield as split backs. I mean, that's a very dangerous backfield that you can do a ton of things out of. And that defense is going to have to adjust. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of those linebackers aren't quick enough to keep up with those two running backs. Well, and you've got Yant, who has the physical capabilities to play that fullback role. And he's slimmed down a little bit and this year, And he's slimmed too. down, but he's, he's a hitter. He doesn't shy away from contact. It's going to be, that's going to be interesting now. Talk about dark horses, Emmett Johnson. Does he does he find a way? I mean, that dude. The last picture he put when he when he was able to get the SB Live National Football Player of the Year. Husker fans, well done. Good on, job, Husker on Nation. Twitter, great job. How many votes did but he get that, in? Um, I was over a thousand. I bet he looks. I believe it was over ten thousand. He looks player ready. No, just Drake alone yeah. had a thousand. I, I, yeah, just Drake alone had a thousand. I did it for about four hours yeah. nonstop. He called hey, me. Too. He called in sick to work that day. Um, I just think Emmett Johnson has a chance again, special teams, whatever, to make an impact and then start to, start to go go from there. Yeah, I, I think Emmett is a dark horse in that room. I I think he gets. I think he plays in every game. I think I think he's a starter on special teams. All right, that was our. Uh... <laughs> Sports lawyer Dan Lusk, when the choir is done singing, uh, join us then. We'll be back in just a few minutes. All right. Thanks for joining us for the Church of the Corn. Uh, Zach, Drake, and Fitz here. We are joined by our fabulous sports lawyer guest, Dan Lusk. Dan, how are you, man? I'm good. Can I, can I tell you that Church of the Corn is a great name for a show? Has anyone told you that? You know, we've been told that once or twice, but we always love hearing it. You know, we like our egos getting pumped a little bit here. Well, whoever came up with that name deserves a giant raise. So I don't know who it is, but someone deserves a giant raise. Perfect. I will make sure to tell my boss that. So uh, I'll, I'll make sure. How much? You know, like ten grand, a million bucks, anything like that? What? Hold on, guys. Listen, you're talking to a lawyer here. We aim for the moon. We ask for a billion, and then we negotiate backwards. God damn, like this it. is why I, I like love it. you. Well, we are happy to have you on here with us. Um, you know, we've been chatting back and forth for quite some time now, so glad to have you. Let's start with a hard-hitting case right off the bat. Watson. Deshaun Watson 
how is everything sitting with this case right now? Did the Browns completely botch this? So let, let's get into it, right? The Browns are run by some uh, very fancy Ivy League-educated individuals. Um, uh, I'll put it very bluntly. The, the Browns look like the dumbest organization in the NFL right now. Um, listen, it's a team that uh, I think people thought had Super Bowl aspirations heading into last year. And, you know, say what you want about Baker Mayfield, but bringing in a guy like Deshaun Watson and giving him $230 million guaranteed, right, with 24 civil cases hanging over his head, with a potential year suspension, and there's talk about an indefinite suspension, hanging over, you know, the team's head. Um, you know, obviously they just traded Baker Mayfield, so we can obviously get into the legal part. But, you know, to, I'm not sure what organization would have signed up for this type of headache, let alone a $230 million guaranteed headache. So from the, the sports side, even you know, independent of what we'll get into with the law, uh, it's just a, a crazy move from an optics perspective and even from a competitive standpoint, just a, a bizarre move from the Browns. Well, that, that contract, this is Fitz here, Dan. Thanks for uh, joining us this morning. The contract that he's saying that, what was it, 279? I, I don't have the exact number, but that guaranteed money and everything that's going on and with the, with the obvious suspension that seems to be looming from the NFL – you just you kind of said it. They've botched this, but and they're the. Dumb, I mean, why? Why? What? What angle were they trying to take? Why would they sign? Why would they give them all that guaranteed money? There's got to be. There's got to be a reason behind it. I don't know what it is. Do you know what it is? Um, you know, I, I've lived and breathed this Deshaun Watson case for the better part of a year and a half. Case has been going on for a long time, so I can put put you into the mind of the Browns executives when that deal was struck. So there were two, uh, and I'm sure you'll list, some of you listeners are probably hearing this, and they're like, didn't Deshaun get acquitted by a grand jury? And, you know, it's true. He got acquitted by two separate grand juries that didn't move forward with criminal charges. So the day that that happened, um, you know, there's a little bit of a lag time between the first and the second, but the day the first grand jury came back and didn't proceed forward with criminal charges, all of a sudden, right, there had been talk of Deshaun Watson potentially getting released by the Houston Texans if he was charged criminally. So he avoids criminal charges, at least for now. And all of a sudden, the bidding war resulted. I think, uh, you know, according to reports, it was the Falcons, the Panthers, uh, and the Browns. All these teams were in it. And the Browns, at one point, I think Schefter had it, whatever, you know, whatever NFL insiders wanted to report it, they said the Browns were out, that Watson wanted to go to a warm-weather city. He's from, you know, I think he's from South Carolina, so he's from, from that part of the country. And the Browns, uh, you know, by all optics, decided to pay a king's ransom. They decided to overpay from what the other teams are willing to do it. So you have to kind of go into the eye of the storm. Nobody pays, just like we were joking at the top of this, right? Let's start at a billion and work our way downward. The Browns had to come forward with the godfather offer when they're bidding against three different teams, it seemed like, for compensation. So that's what happened. But, you know, what, what we're dealing with right now as of the present day, right? Let's say Watson avoid the suspension, as however unlikely that might be. He still has these civil cases that are scheduled for trial after next year's Super Bowl. So he could avoid a suspension. The guy is still going to be playing and starting games potentially as an NFL quarterback with four sexual assault cases hanging over his head. So I don't know what optics that's going to look like. Imagine guys if Michael Vick was playing with those, you know, dog fighting allegations hanging over his head. It's just a horrendous look. So win, lose, or draw in this suspension hearing, the civil cases are going to last beyond this. So that that's really the part I have a problem with. Yeah. Dan Drake here. Uh, I'm going to apologize up front for this question because it's kind of multi-part. Uh, one, have you seen in the world of sports a worse 
testimony than uh, Roger Goodell in front of Congress th- from a sports perspective. Two, why why are our sports organizations testifying before Congress like baseball with the steroid era? And three, where do you think this Dan Snyder thing goes? How far did they go down this rabbit hole? So if we were in court, I'm, I'm going to bust your chops a little bit. I would say I would object and say it's a compound question. But uh, <laughs> you know, sports radio, the rules of court don't apply. Um, first, first of all, I don't think Goodell was that bad. I, I think, you know, uh, just switching gears in sports is similar similar point. But like Rob Manfred was quoted recently as saying he's basically paid to be the baseball commissioner to take the punches for the owners. So he kind of said the quiet part out loud. He said it with an interview with ESPN. And then you take that approach. Everyone knows that's the commissioner's role, and that's kind of what Goodell did. He's just he's a human shield for Dan Snyder. So, if, you know, obviously he was answering questions like no human being, like the four of us would ever answer. We would speak honestly and candidly. But Roger Goodell acted like a, you know, a, a robot without emotions and just spoke very straightforward. And, you know, if his job is to deflect from the owners, I, I, and I'll push back a little bit, I think he did a decent job, but that's, that's his job, right? Um, coming off as being sincere and truthful, you know, uh, truthful, that's a different story. But deflecting, I think he did fine. Um, you know, as for the other part of this question, the, you know, this issue about Dan Snyder, you know, it, it's a troubling one. Um, and it kind of dovetails a little bit into this Watson conversation. Like, these congressional hearings right now, why Goodell has to defend Dan Snyder is because Dan Snyder is accused of sexual assault and misconduct. In addition to having, I know you guys are, you know, big college sports fans in Nebraska, Snyder has an allegation that's, I don't want to say it's similar to Joe Paterno, but kind of an allegation of, like, lack of institutional control, that he wasn't really overseeing the, the team properly. And then, separately, he has an allegation directly against him. So, you know, we're talking about a potential year suspension for Deshaun Watson. The NFL is not suspending Dan Snyder. Roger Goodell is going in front of Congress to defend Dan Snyder from any, you know, threats that Dan Snyder might get his team sold out from under him. So... You know, the NFL is bending over backwards to defend Dan Snyder. And meanwhile, the NFL is putting all of their resources into punishing Deshaun Watson for a year. Um, both Snyder and Watson had civil cases against them that they both paid millions. I, I think, the, you know, we'll say it's likely millions of dollars to settle. Dan Snyder's been reported as a $1.6 million uh, settlement for you know, uh, confidentiality and whatnot. But you have an owner and a player, both sexual assault allegations. Obviously, Watson has more, but it can be handled more differently. So, yeah, I think the optics are troubling, right? Uh, In a league where owners and players should be equal, uh, it's certainly uh, not what we have. And the NFL is uh, maybe the biggest culprit in this right now. Dan, uh, Zach here. Got another question for you. This is actually one of the listeners, the official Husker fan in Dallas, has this question about the Browns. He says, why are we acting surprised the Browns did what they did? It's pretty on brand for the Cleveland franchise. I mean, they have made questionable, you know, decisions constantly. So are we even surprised that they did this? I know the Browns kind of came out of nowhere in the situation, but we can't be that shocked that they're, they've dug themselves this hole, right? It's a good question. Um, I, you know, I don't know if they've ever, I mean, truth, truthfully, right? Like there is no situation like this that is, you know, has any precedent in, in sports. It's just no one has been accused with this many allegations, right? Certainly you had Ben, ben Roethlisberger who received a suspension for a second offense or let's say alleged second offense, whatever whatever lawyer term I need to say to not get in trouble here, but um, Watson, Watson has 24, and the report that came out from the New York Times, this is you know, to the larger point, the, the New York Times reported that Watson used 66 different masseuses in a 17-month period. The New York Times reported that the Texans 
likely knew of Watson's conduct. So then you have to ask yourself this question, why, why it's, it's a good point, right? Like, the, the Browns are doing all this. Why they paid so much money and why they had to answer the hard questions. They said, we did our due diligence. We looked into this, and we were comfortable with the investment. I'm paraphrasing, but they said we did our due diligence. If the Browns knew everything that we know today, I, I, don't, I don't know how any of these people have jobs, right? If they knew everything that we know, and they still gave him $230 million, they knew about 66 masseuses, they knew about a potential indefinite suspension from the NFL, that's, that's an insane risk to take from a team that doesn't need to be you know, swinging for the fences. It's a team that has a, has a solid roster as of today. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know what to tell you, right? What's more likely, that the Browns took on this mega, insane, unprecedented risk, you know, or that the Browns just didn't know all of the full facts? So, uh, yeah, I don't think the Browns have done this before, but if this is uh, an indication of what this Browns era we're going to be like, uh, I, I don't see much success in the future. Well, and you add to it, the we, we keep coming back to this word botching, is the fact that what they did with how they handled the Baker Mayfield uh, you know, trade that finally happened this week to the Carolina Panthers. But you know, they couldn't get anything done during the, during the uh, uh, draft window. They, wanted, they were asking too much, and then they weren't happy with what they were being offered in return. And so they hold, they hold, they hold, and probably now pennies on the dollar in a way. But if, when you put all of that in there, it... For me, what what is the what would be the rationale for creating this scenario with their franchise with Watson when they had a serviceable quarterback in Mayfield? Is it are they creating a situation for themselves like next year in free agency, anything like that? Who's going to want to go for, play for the Cleveland Browns? Now we know money talks, but is this creating a just this downhill crap storm for themselves? Well, I, I'm sure you're going to have some listeners. I, you know, I did Cleveland Sports Radio this week, and I had someone someone yelling at me on Twitter, like, well, we'll address the elephant in the room. Like, Watson is not being charged with a crime, and he's going to say innocent until proven guilty in a criminal court. And the burden is on these accusers to prove, um, you know, their version of events. And if you want to get into the weeds, you know, these, all these accusers have the same attorney, right? And the, this attorney has kind of a, an interesting past in, in Houston. Um, so there is certainly a world where Watson gets a year suspension, and that's it. Right, it's over. Um, so, if you want to get into the technicalities of NFL contracts, if he gets a year suspension, there's a world where his contract is just told and it's held in suspension for a year, and it just starts next year. So, maybe that was the infinite wisdom of the Browns. You know, so we're not going to waste a year with him under contract. We're just going to start it a year later, but he's still trading so much in the optics level. So, yeah, I don't. I, I, there's another. There's another kind of breadcrumb that we got. The Browns making the trade of Baker Mayfield while we're waiting to hear about the Watson suspension, that does tell you something, right? Because you're trading the most expensive insurance policy in all of football while you're about to hear how long your, you know, your new quarterback is going to be out for. So there's certainly a reading of this that the Browns feel more optimistic than they did um, you know, earlier on because they held on to Mayfield for past the draft. I think a lot of people, myself included, expect him to be traded on draft night, which we didn't get. So. The fact that they're trading him now might might be a breadcrumb that they feel a little more optimistic on a, on a lower suspension than expected. Hey, Dan, Drake here again. What do you think is going to happen with these uh, USA Freedom USA Today Freedom of Information Act requests and lawsuits against schools like Nebraska where they're trying to get these uh, unnamed metrics for Scott Frost? How, how do you think that's going to play out in court? 
Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I read all the, uh, the Nebraska replies I get in there. I mean, people are asking if it's a witch hunt and whatnot. I mean, I don't, I don't know why people have this, like, bloodlust. Nah, no pun intended. I probably can't say bloodlust, guys. It's just uh, it's a name like lust. I can't use it. But people, people have this fascination with going after Scott Frost in Nebraska. I mean, I don't know. I, I, it, how will the court case work out? Usually Freedom of Information Act. They have to be responded to just like we saw in the Big Ten saga. And, you know, we'll see if there's anything being hit in there. But I don't know what agenda USA Today has to try to get those metrics. I'm not sure of any. I don't know, uh, the, the newsworthiness to it beyond just people being fascinated with Scott Frost job security. Um, so, yeah, I don't, usually Freedom of Information Act to get a certain amount of days to respond. But if you're a you know, public entity, you have to respond to those, uh, be it a you know, municipality or um, you know, a police agency. Uh, you know, but it's, it's the boring part of the law, but there are very few exceptions to, to not comply with those. Hey, Dan, I got a question for you about conference realignment. We'll just do a little bit of a switch here from uh, pro to college. Where do you see conference realignment going? And do you see any immediate moves, I guess, happening within, let's say, the next six months to a year? I would call that immediate. And do you see any issues arising from those moves? So when there's smoke, there's fire, right? And Twitter this past week was full of jokes, right? Like uh, always. Schools were going to move from the ACC to the SEC, and then people were saying Bishop Sycamore was going to get in the conversation and move <laughs> to the Big Ten, I guess. Um, Bishop Sycamore is obviously that, that uh, fictitious school. That, uh, that you know, phenomenal uh, satellite school? Yeah, the school that, uh, you know, is just playing 40-year-old men and somehow loses to 20-year-old uh, college kids. So, so Dan, not to interrupt, um, but I did get a recruitment letter from them this last week. Should I just, oh. what do I need to do with that? I think you need to go, and I think you need to invest your entire life savings in a trip to go there and just expect to hope for the best. Okay. All right. I will let you know how that goes. I'm, I'm I heard on, they need I'm, a kicker. I'm on board, and I, my stretching regimen starts now. But get back to back to alignment talk, Dan. Yeah. So, listen, the, the joke being, right, when there's smoke, there's fire. Um, there were reports, which these ones I do believe are credible, that Oregon and Washington tried to jump ship and also join USC, UCLA, and the Big Ten. Big Ten now on record saying they're not accepting any new schools at this point in time. But let's not kid ourselves. A year ago, and I, you know, I got some heat from uh, you know, some uh, college reporters, and I said, listen, the SEC takes Texas and Oklahoma. Someone has to respond. Uh, and whoever responds, right, it's probably going to be the Big Ten if they're trying to compete with the SEC. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty critical of Kevin Warren and the Big Ten. What did they do? They formed a, an alliance with the ACC and the Pac-12, I mean, it lasted a year, and then the Big 12 kind of, you know, the Big 10 kind of stabbed uh, the Pac-12 in the back and took two of their schools. I, you could have telegraphed this a mile away, because if you want to compete with the Joneses, right, you have to actually compete with the Joneses. You can't have an alliance with, like, I don't know, what's, what's lower than the Joneses guys? The Smiths? Like, they're one tier below? Um, but the Big 10 had to retool, and they took the, the equivalent, I think a pretty close equivalent, to Texas and Oklahoma, USC, UCLA. So you'd be kidding yourself if you didn't think there was another move here. You'd pay... You know, I think uh, some reports of a potential merger between the ACC and Pac-12. Um, but the other version of this is where the SEC just retools. And they're staring at uh, a weekend ACC you know, with, the sub- with some big programs right in their backyard, right? You know, so so um, I-, I think it's just a matter of when. Uh, you know, conference realignment dominoes, Nebraska saw it you know, way back when with the Big 12 move. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of what big dominoes are left. And I think a lot of schools, a lot of conferences, are looking at Notre Dame. Uh, that seems to be the next big domino. Let's see if they want to end their, you know, their, their infatuation with being an independent. But 
sometimes they say money talks. So, uh, you know, if Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC, I didn't think would ever happen. USC to UCLA, I didn't think would ever, you know, to the Big Ten, I didn't think would happen. Uh, and Notre Dame becoming an independent, or not, no longer being an independent, it's certainly got to be on the table with some of these unprecedented moves. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, I think, the moves that we'll be seeing. Um, that was Dan Lust at Sports Law Lust on Twitter. Be sure to give him a follow. He's a phenomenal guy to chat with, phenomenal lawyer, and he'll give you some great um, great podcasts and different things like that to listen to. So, Dan, thanks so much for being our guest on here today and joining with us. We appreciate it. We'll definitely have to have you back, man. Go Big Red. Go Big Red. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks, Dan. That was Dan Lust, um, sports law attorney. Um, We are going to take a quick break. We're going to be joined by recruiting analyst on three's own Brian Munson when we return. Uh, Be sure to tune back in a couple minutes. Thanks. All right. Thanks for joining us on the Church of the Corn. Zach, Drake, and Fitz here. We are joined by our fabulous guest from on three sports, uh, Brian Munson. Brian, how are you doing today? Hey, guys. How are you? Congratulations on the new spot here. Oh, thanks so much, man. We're happy to be here. Uh, happy to be chatting with you this beautiful Saturday morning. Um, we got some fun recruiting stuff for you today. We're going to keep you on your toes. <laughs> as best as we can, yeah, right? Yeah, things happened over the 4th, huh? <laughs> it's a yeah. good thing, too. You know, th- they did, but that's not where I'm going to start, Brian. I'm actually I'm actually going to throw a question that I don't... I, I've never heard, heard you be asked before. With... The transfer portal kind of changing things. Is there a player or a, gr- a group of players on the team right now that you think Nebraska needs to continue recruiting so they don't have the attrition through the portal like they've had in some places? Good question. Um, I think that, you know, despite the fact that Nebraska has landed, you know, three in state linemen, which I think you can kind of look at it and go, Sledge is a guard slash center. He's somewhere in the interior. And Gatula, I'm leaning more towards him being a guard. And Knudsen is really the the real true tackle in the group. I think Nebraska has got to be thinking about the long-term picture of what's happening, you know, with the landscape of college football and what happens with offensive linemen and how guys are kind of moving around a little bit. And I think that that's going to drive them to take – potentially uh, another guy or two if they could if they could get them uh particularly an offensive tackle i think those those guys are premium guys um I, and and i and i also think that like nebraska is probably also a little bit hesitant to start throwing around offers at a couple of spots where i don't feel like the market is really there for them right now like if you if you took a look at like your, uh, your your zero technique, the guy that goes over the nose that, that plays in the in the middle of the three four. I don't see one out there that Nebraska is in really good standing with. Um, and, and I'm not totally sold on the idea that Eric Chenander is is really thinking that a three four base is the way to go here anymore either because they don't have a lot of those guys around. So I'm thinking I'm thinking you've got kind of a, a little bit of a different looking front where you're not really necessarily running that zero. You might be running more of a one three, which looks more like a four three front with the two interior guys. So I, I'm interested to see what happens there, but I'm also, you know, I, I think to, your, to answer your question, I think offensive tackle is a premium spot. And then I think a spot where that their Nebraska might wait to, to see what happens with the transfer portal is going to be that real interior kind of nose guard position. Yeah, it does seem like they're in kind of transition on the defensive side of the ball. 
the pieces that they've got and what they're bringing in and different things like that, it, it almost seems like it's going to be kind of a uh, amoeba front where they kind of switch back and forth between even and odd. Um, so mm-hmm. I, th- I think it'll be kind of interesting to watch. But, um, uh, you know, Mickey Joseph in Louisiana, we know he pretty much picks and takes whatever he wants down there. Um, Ryan Robinson Jr., he's the cornerback. And it looks like you had put in a crystal ball within the last couple of days. I believe it was on the 5th. Um, do you yep. see him being the next commitment to this staff and team? Well, <clears throat> the next commitment to, to Nebraska probably doesn't even happen in the month of July. Uh, I'm not sure that Nebraska gets another commitment this month. Um, that being said, uh, Ryan Robinson might be the next one. And, and I think that in the month of August, month of August gets kind of interesting. I think you've got, you're going to keep an eye on, on, on Louisiana for a couple different reasons. Number one is Robinson. Number two is Lance Hurd. Um, and, and I think Hurd is really down to LSU and Nebraska. And then I think maybe you start thinking about Junior Sia and you start taking a look around maybe at, at Cameron Lenhart and seeing what he's going to do. Obviously, he announced his top three yesterday and Nebraska's there. Um, so I think that, I think some things are going to get interesting again in the month of August, early September, and then I think there'll be kind of another little nice new little wave of, of recruits that could come in um, and, and be part of another group of guys that bring in for like official visits, like Sergio Snyder from Nolan Catholic, for example. He he was supposed to come in that last weekend in June, and it just didn't seem overly beneficial for him to do so just because there weren't a lot of guys on campus. So they, the Nebraska kind of pushed that one back out to September. So, yeah, I, I think Robinson could be. The, the, the question really is now, you know, when. And it, and it probably could be a couple, three weeks from now. Uh, just one quick question, just to kind of go off of something that you mentioned with Hurd. Do you think Nebraska's in good sitting with him down there? I mean, it seems like he's a heavy lean to LSU at this point. But for some reason, with Hurd and Green – Caden Green doesn't seem like Nebraska's counted out. It seems like they feel like they've got a great chance to get one or both those guys. Yeah, well, with Caden Green committing to to OU yesterday, um, I, it, that did not happen just like by default. And Nebraska clawed their way back into that one, uh, particularly with the staff changes that really opened the door for him to reconsider Nebraska. You know, earlier this spring, so. I know Nebraska fans are sick of moral victories. They're sick of moral victories on the field and playing teams close that they shouldn't be playing close, and sick of getting guys in top fours and not getting guys. I get it. But Caden Green is not a guy that Nebraska should have been in with at all. And that had everything to do with the staff. It had everything to do with Rayola and Bill Bush and Scott Frost and making some changes and going after and hitting Kansas City finally. Um, but, you know, Caden Green, Nebraska went down swinging. And he, and he did end up going to the school, I think, that we all felt like he was going to end up going to in the end. But, I, you know, Lance Hurd right now, he's stuck. He, he's got – he, he is probably an LSU lean, and I think – and it didn't help. I can't remember what the name of the kid was that came out of Georgia that committed to Tennessee that was also considering LSU six-foot-nine offensive tackle – um, it just committed yesterday. And that doesn't help when you see other guys come off the board that are considering LSU at that same spot that are going elsewhere. But I, I think you know the, there's there's some there's some motivating factors there for Lance Hurd, you know, to really keep Nebraska in the running. I think I think he really does like it there. I think AJ Allen, you know, his former high school teammate, is there now. Um, you've got a you got kind of a, a nice combination between Joseph, like you mentioned, and that's really Brian Applewhite's school. 
So Brian Applewhite's really recruiting anything north of like Alexandria. So uh, that that's really falling into Applewhite territory. But there's there's kind of a good combination that's going on there with the guy. I think things are going to get interesting for him, and it's going to be interesting to see what becomes important to his decision. Uh, whether it's going to be like something for himself or trying to make everybody else happy. I really think the kid has got a tough decision in front of him. We have uh, on threes Brian Munson joining us on Church of the Corn this morning. You mentioned that the Huskers were in on Caden Green when they weren't supposed to. We've seen Mickey Joseph bring some, some flip some guys, turn some guys, get them up to Lincoln, which kind of tells you that it, it looks like they've got a really good shot at a lot more guys. The class already sits at 13 commits. Where do you see this class going as far as a number? How many more players do you think the staff is going to take? And if, as you said, they're going to get in on guys and stay in on guys and and really get players that maybe weren't considering Nebraska six months ago, nine months ago, to to really look at Nebraska, is do you envision some attrition occurring that's going to make room for more? Or do you think just based on, I guess, your your number, is that going to be necessary? I think attrition should be counted on every every single year. And I think that <clears throat> when you start talking about the 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 severity, the the degree of change in the offensive coaching staff at Nebraska, I think it should be anticipated that that this is what's gonna happen. Um, that being said, you know, you are at 13 currently, where does the class get to? Cause like your, your real number of like guys losing, you know, that you're going to lose based on draft eligibility or, uh, end, end of academic eligibility, you know, it's probably around 13 right now. So where, where do you kind of see this thing going? Well, I think it goes to about 18 and, and I think that where I'm kind of drawing that number from is last year because we kind of went out to more of a similar kind of number where we said, okay, here's where we think it should go based on the 85. And then there was the number that Nebraska really went to, which was out like at 18 as well. Um, and obviously there was all that activity in the transfer portal on, on top of things. So 85 is really the only number that, that anybody is ever is concerned with anymore. How you get to 85 is, is really through, you know, your attrition, guys coming and going, medical red shirts, you know, guys dropping out, you know, uh, and, and, and deciding not to play the sport anymore, et cetera. But I, I think that this, I think that the number's 18-ish and, and could even climb a little bit higher, but I think it's going to be, roughly in that same, you know, in that, in that kind of, in that ballpark. Uh, and I think that there's some guys that are out there, obviously that are in Nebraska, you know, I think I could rattle off, you know, two or three guys at least, or, you know, you got Len Hart, obviously you've got Robinson there. Uh, you've got, can't, can't forget Coleman. Um, you know, there's, there's some, there's some big guys out there still that in junior Sia, I think that Nebraska is in a great spot with him. I think Nebraska's in a good spot with Ashley Williams. Um, I think things are going to get really interesting for Nebraska and how they're going to kind of manage things going down the stretch. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that number is going to be 18 and possibly climb even higher. Brian, we've got one more question for you. Yeah. And you actually brought up the, uh, the player that I was going to ask you about in Cameron Lenhart. So we, we lose mm-hmm. Phil Picciotti, if I mispronounce his name, my apologies to uh, Oklahoma earlier. And then yesterday, as you just said, Caden Green goes to Oklahoma as well. 
for me, Cameron Lenhart was a little bit of a, a surprise. I didn't, I hadn't seen much on him. What can you tell us about him? I know he's a four star out of IMG Academy, but he just dropped yesterday his top three: Michigan State, Penn State, and Nebraska. Uh, is it are, is Nebraska in good position? What do what are we looking for in uh, in Cameron Lenhart? I think Nebraska's in a really good spot with Cameron Lenhart. Um, there's a couple things when you go over to like Michigan State's commitment list and you start taking a look around. I mean, there's some other guys that are on there. I mean, Andrew DePape out of Bettendorf, Iowa, Pleasant Valley, he committed to, he committed to Michigan State. So if you're thinking Michigan State is a leader, Michigan State already has two edge recruits that are already on their commitment list. Um you know, I've heard some different things, various things about Penn State and their interest, maybe not necessarily being, you know, thinking maybe he's tall enough to play edge. So they, they may not they may not be actually be as serious there. I think there's an outside contender there, kind of a Daltevious Braswell, uh, South Carolina out of left field committing to a school not in my top four. I think Maryland is a school that, that Lenhart is going to pay attention to a little bit as they kind of have started to kick up some more attention. So, yeah, I think things are – Looking good with Cameron. I, I, I don't feel like, you know, a Picciotti, I don't think like he's an inside guy. I think he's really more of an outside edge rusher, pin his ears back, kind of go get get after the quarterback a little bit, like where Ashley Williams is at, like where Maverick Newton is at. Um, they're really, I think, looking at least for one more guy kind of opposite Maverick uh, and, and maybe possibly two, depending on how the numbers kind of play out, you know, at other positions. I think that that's really what they're – what they're kind of looking at now is a, is a game of kind of taking the, the best possible guys there and still kind of also considering the roster management that's going to come up here, you know, in, in the coming months. Hey, Brian, can you – Sorry, I had my mic off, Brian. Uh, can you <laughs> tell, tell the fans uh, a little bit more about On3 and how they can get in on that subscription? Absolutely. So yeah, we've got a there's there's a little bit of a deal going on right now. You can go over there for 12 months. You you can get a subscription over there for one dollar. And we are really, you know, we're coming over from a from an old time place. We're bringing over the entire staff. We've actually added some people, like namely Steve Sipple, a uh, pretty big name, and has been a, a fantastic addition to our site. So typical Red Sea Scrolls kind of form thing. But if you if you go over to on3.com. And I believe it's NebraskaOn3.com. And there's not really a name associated yet with the website. That that'll be happening as 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 we get closer to September. Uh, but I think it's On3.com, and then you kind of do look for Nebraska Cornhuskers, and pick out the right channel. You can get over there. There's a there's a, a ad that runs in the top right hand corner for for 12 months for a dollar. And uh, we're looking forward to. Getting, getting the team fully together come September 1st and providing you the content, of course, that we that we were known for before in the past with the addition of Steve Sipple coming on board with the staff. Yeah, I got to say, I joined uh, On3, and it is an absolute phenomenal website. It's it All the reporting you guys do is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Brian, we want to thank you for joining us uh, On3 Sports. Uh, Brian Munson, um, thanks for joining us again, my man. Uh, we'll have to do this weekly. That way we can pick your brain about some recruiting talk. Um, thanks for joining us again, my man. And uh, when we yep. come back, we will uh, find out a way to make you guys some money. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us at Church of the Corn here with Zach Drake and Fitz. Uh, we're just going to close out the night here. We're not going to make any money today. We'll save that for next week. But we want to thank all you for joining us today. Um, we will be on every Saturday from 8 to 10. Um, if you're not listening on the radio, be sure to get the 1620 The Zone app. 
Uh, that way you can catch us anytime, radio replay, different things like that. Um, we just want to really thank everybody for joining us this week. We look forward to all you guys joining us every week going forward. And don't forget, Sundays, we do record the podcast, uh, Church of the Corn. Tomorrow we will have our guest, uh, Colby Bretz, on. Uh, so be sure to uh, catch that on Monday when we drop it. Uh, once again, for Zach, Drake, Fitz, thanks for joining Church of the Corn. We look forward to seeing you all again. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.